Welcome to the podcast again. We are in Acts chapter 16. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you happen to be listening to the podcast. Um, Verses 1 through 3. Paul came also to Derb and to Lystra. And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman, who was a believer. But his father was a Greek, and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Paul came to his city that he had already visited, and there he found a disciple named Timothy. Timothy probably came to Christ on Paul's first visit to Lystra. Some believe it could also have been his mother Eunice or grandmother Lois that brought him to the Lord. That's talked about in 2 Timothy 1.5. He was half Greek and half Jewish. The other brethren had nothing but good things to say about him, and so Paul desired Timothy to go with them on their journey. Paul would pour into Timothy much like a mentor and an intern. Before they left anywhere, Paul had Timothy circumcised. Okay, but why would Paul circumcise Timothy after the huge debate that he had in Jerusalem? Well, Timothy was already saved, so circumcision was not part of the salvation process. Also, it would serve as a a help when they ministered or taught the Jewish people. This would prevent offense to the Jewish people, and Paul was trying to be culturally sensitive. Okay, what can we learn from this? Men, women, if we are mature in the Christian faith, we really need to begin to take younger Christians, bring them alongside us, and help them mature. We can pour into their lives, push them to grow and mature. Let's show them where we have messed up and then help them learn from our mistakes and prevent them from making the same ones. Verses 4 to 5. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. The trio continued through the cities, delivering the news from the Jerusalem council, which brought encouragement and growth to various churches. Verses 6 to 8. They passed through Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. So the group came to the Galatian region and wanted to head into Asia to bring the gospel to that region, but the Holy, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit did not let them. As they tried to head towards Asia, they were not allowed. So they continued on to a seaport named Troas. We don't know how they were stopped from going further east. We only know that they were stopped. It could have been a vision the circumstances around them, or even the unified word from the Holy Spirit to all the men not to head in that direction. Only God knows why they were forbidden from heading east. All we can guess is either God knew there would be a greater impact in Europe, 
Or there would be a further work by other disciples in that direction. Or perhaps in Asia, the group may have come to their demise or to people with hardened hearts. Verses 9 and 10. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. At Troas, Paul had a vision of a man begging him to go to Macedonia to help there. Paul and the group, now Silas, Timothy, and Paul, and notice Luke is also in there, we start seeing the we, left to Macedonia. This is northern Greece in our day, immediately obeying the call to preach the gospel. Verses 11 and 12. So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in this city for some days. The group traveled from Troas to Philippi, which was about 160 miles from Troas. Philippi was the leading city of the province of Macedonia, and some say perhaps Luke was from or studied in Philippi because of his apparent complement of the city. Philippi was originally called Crenides, uh, Crenides <clears throat> which means fountains, but it was taken over by Philip of Macedon and renamed, and then it was taken over again by the Roman Empire in 168 BC. It was made into a Roman colony in 42 BC and given special privileges, like lower taxes. The primary purpose of these colonies was military, to have troops ready to march at a moment's notice. They created a strong pro-Rome city as well, having their military retire in cities like these. Verses 13 to 15. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside, where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer, and we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. It seems like, again, the Jewish population was small in the city of Philippi, because Paul did not start at a synagogue. It only really required ten Jewish men to start a synagogue. Instead, he began next to a river, on a Sabbath. While there, the group spoke to a group of women, and we are told specifically of one woman and her family getting saved. This is incredible, as the Jewish culture was very oppressive of women in that time. The law was not meant to be used in that way. But rabbis even came to the point of rejecting the teaching of the law to women because they were supposedly lower than men. This was not Paul's philosophy, nor God's. Lydia sold purple cloths. The color purple in that time came from shellfish, or a root from a plant. She was from a nearby city called Tiatira, and she was a worshiper of God. This probably means she was a believer in the Jewish true God, and God opened her heart, showing God involved in the beginning of salvation. She and her family, probably referring to servants and possibly children if she was a widow, came to Christ. 
she and her family were baptized as well, and she encouraged the men to stay at her house during their stay in the city. The men eventually accepted the offer. Verses 16 to 18. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl, having a spirit of divination, met us, who was bringing her masters much profit by profit-telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days. But Paul was greatly annoyed, and turned, and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. Some men owned a slave girl that was possessed by a demon, and with this possession came the ability to tell the future or fortune-telling. Apparently, she was really good at it because her masters made a lot of money on her. There seems to be an interesting wordplay in the Greek for, quote, a spirit of divination, end quotes. It seems to translate two Greek words, a spirit and a python. This probably goes back to the concept of the Greek god Apollo, who was thought to be embodied in a python snake. Possibly this demon had much to do with the worship of that god or idol. The same girl started following the group of missionaries as they went to the place of prayer. As she followed, she would scream out the truth that Paul and the company were servants of the true God and that they had the gospel or the way of salvation. Well, true, this was a demon-possessed girl, and the gospel could be damaged by the association. There also may have been a sense of sarcasm instead of sincerity. She continued doing this for many days. In time, Paul was greatly annoyed, and he ordered the Spirit to come out in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. The second the demon was ordered, it left. We can see a very important truth that we can apply in our lives. When God begins to work, Satan's immediate action is to attack. Satan is against all that God stands for, and so if we're Christians, he is also against all that we stand for. His objective is to keep the unsaved unsaved and to make Christians useless, and he does this in a lot of ways. But how do we overcome? It's only done by the power of God. We rest on his power, as Paul did by claiming Jesus' authority over the demon. We submit to God, and then we can resist the devil, James 4, 7. Jesus himself used the scriptures when he was tempted by Satan in Matthew 4. How is your relationship with God? Have you grown compared to a year ago, a month ago? Are you serving God and others? Examine yourself. It's a very good exercise. Verses 19 to 21. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. Paul had freed a slave girl from the clutches of a demon. Unfortunately, instead of rejoicing at her liberation, her masters were upset. Their source of money had been basically taken away. The word specifically says they were upset at the loss of their income. Money had so engulfed them 
that they did not care at all about the girl, only about their pockets. And this is sad. Now, money was their idol. Unfortunately, this idol is still very tempting to many. Many fall into its clutches, loving money. Money itself is not bad. But loving it, especially over God and others, is bad. The question becomes, would you sin to get money? If you would, it probably has a hold on you. Even money must be placed under the will of plan and plan of God. It makes it much easier if we view money as the Bible presents it. All is God's, and we're simply stewards, we're managers. We manage His possessions to the best of our ability and to His glory. We point even our money to God. The masters of the slave girl took Paul and Silas and dragged them to the marketplace where the chief magistrates or judges were. Each Roman province was governed by two magistrates. The men accused the pair of being Jewish, of causing an uproar in the city, and of calling the people to follow laws that were not lawful. They were Jewish, which the Jews were known for causing riots, and kind of a preconceived notion here. But this time there was no uproar in the city, except for the ones that the masters were creating. In fact, Paul had been annoyed at the demon-possessed girl because she kept on screaming. Finally, they were teaching about God, which was not approved by Roman law necessarily. Verses 22 through 24. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. In the heat of the moment, the magistrates tore off Paul and Silas's robes and sent them to be beaten with rods. They were then placed in the inner prison, probably a deeper cell in the prison to make it harder for escape. They were also further locked away in stocks, which were, depending on the type of stock, meant to restrict the movement of the person in the stock. Finally, the prison guard or jailer was commanded to guard them well. We have a seemingly hopeless situation. Paul and Silas were beaten and put away for their witness. This definitely is a form of persecution. We end this section with God's servants beaten and imprisoned for their witness, but this is not the end of the story. Verses 25 to 26. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. Most people would sit in prison and question God or complain to God or ask, why me? Paul and Silas had joy in prison, in suffering for the name of Christ. They began singing and praying in the middle of the night. This was loud enough that the other prisoners could hear them. There was joy amidst the incredible trial and persecution. What an awesome witness of what a heart placed on God can do. They knew they were in God's will and were joyful in the midst of it. God had other plans than simply leaving the pair there. He caused an earthquake to happen. But this was not just some normal earthquake. This earthquake was enough that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And it mentions there immediately all the doors were open and all the chains fell down. Everyone in prison was set free. 
That was God sent. There's no other way to describe it. Verses 28 and 27. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison door open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. When the jailer woke up, he saw all the doors open. This man was either a very deep sleeper, or he was kept asleep by God until the end of the earthquake. The jailer, seeing only open jail doors, was about to kill himself, but Paul stopped him. There are two important questions here. First, why would the jailer automatically pull out a knife to try to kill himself? Well, in those times, the jailer was responsible for the jail. If there was an escapee, the escapee's sentence fell on that jailer. The jailer did not want to account for a prison full of inmates released. Second, why did Paul save him? Well, Paul probably saw another opportunity for a soul for Christ. Despite this person being his enemy, he was human nonetheless, at the end of his rope, and he needed Christ just as much as the next person. Verses 29 and 30. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The jailer called for lights and fell down before Paul and Silas, trembling. The jailer fell down before the prisoners. When he brought them out of the, of the jail, he asked what he needed to do to be saved. There was just too much evidence in that night for the jailer to refuse that these men had the truth. Paul and Silas had been joyful after a punishment. They sang and prayed. An earthquake had occurred to free them and all the other prisoners. And they had saved the jailer from committing suicide. There was too much evidence to ignore. Verses 31 and 32. They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. This passage is key in the doctrine of salvation. The gospel is so very simple. Paul did not say, believe in Jesus and do the law. The gospel is just Jesus with nothing added to it. He also said to see Jesus as Lord, which means we must come to him for forgiveness of sins. In this simple statement, we see faith and confession, repentance, turning of sins, the sins that dishonor our Lord. Another thing we must distinguish here is that these verses are not saying that once the jailer received salvation, the rest of his household was automatically under the umbrella of salvation. Household salvation, quote-unquote, has no foundation in Scripture. Okay, so how do we apply this to our lives? Each person has their own will to choose. And just like someone's sin cannot be attributed to someone else, so someone's salvation cannot be attributed to another person. The only exception to this is Jesus, who took our sin and gave us his life, his salvation. The gate of salvation is narrow. It fits one person at a time. We must decide on our own, if we are of an age to understand, to believe or reject Jesus verses 33 through 34. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. 
And he brought them into his house, and set food before them, and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. The instant change is seen in the jailer's excitement. He's excited about salvation. He takes the two prisoners, he takes them home, and washes their wounds. This is completely different than the day, than the jailer that was just there. He was indifferent. He didn't care. He was a calloused man, threw them in stocks, and was assured that they wouldn't get away. This was the man who slept while they sang. But after he was done washing their wounds, the jailer was baptized. And those from his family also believed in the truth, and so they were baptized as well. He took them home with him, fed them, and was in great joy because God had entered his household. Verses 35 and 36. Now when the day came, the chief magistrate sent their policemen, saying, Release those men. And the jailer reported those words to Paul, saying, The chief magistrates have sent to release you. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. The magistrates knew that they had no case against the pair, so they ordered the jailer to release Paul and Silas and for them to leave in peace. Interesting, the men are called to leave in peace, even though they were beaten and put in stocks for a time. Verses 37 to 40. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us in public without trial, men who are Romans, and have thrown us into prison, and now they are sending us away secretly? No, indeed. But let them come themselves and bring us out. The policemen reported these words to the chief magistrates. They were afraid when they heard that they were Romans, and they came and appealed to them, and when they had brought them out, they kept begging them to leave the city. They went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia, and when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Why would Paul and Silas ask for the magistrates to escort them out? They had the reasoning, obviously, because it was illegal in the Roman Empire to beat a Roman without trial. Was this revenge? Was it just humiliation of the magistrates for the pair? Was there another reason? It does not seem that this was revenge on the pair's part. I think it was protective. Here's what I mean. There was still a church near there. They even went to it right after they went to the house of Lydia. So in order to remove the possibility of harassment, the church now had a way. If they were bothered in any way, they had a means to call the Roman government and refer how the magistrates had beaten a Roman without a trial. The magistrates came to prison, let them out, and asked that they leave the city. Paul and Silas went to the house of Lydia, encouraged the brethren there, and then left the city. The wording indicates that at least Luke stayed to continue the work of the church there. Now this is important. We can see that God works and continues to work even in hard times, even in the middle of hard times. While Paul and Silas were in prison, he was still working. God was working his awesome plan. We can and should spend and depend on this awesome God to bring us what gives him most glory and us most good. Now, to be very clear, our most good is to be more like him, not to be happy, not to be comfortable. It's God's love. It's a perfecting love. He wants us to be more like Jesus. And so he will cause us to focus more on eternity and less on the temporal. 
Thank you for joining us for chapter 16. We'll talk next episode on chapter 17.